0: Hello, everyone, and we are live, episode 39 of the Fitness Business Growth Podcast. I'm with Will. How are you, mate?
1: Mate, loving life. Doing very, very well. Thanks for having me on today. You're
0: welcome. And Will is a Newcastle boy like myself. I've I've run into Will maybe 5, 10, 15, 20 times over the last seven years. I've really, really enjoyed watching Will's journey with Primabolics to where it first started at East Coast Soutlement Sessnock, to being a national brand across Australia. My favorite thing about Will is... He's truly passionate about the products, the ingredients, the dosages to give his customers the best possible performance. Cue the intro.
1: Welcome to the Fitness Business Growth Podcast, a podcast run by gym owners for gym owners. My name is Mitch, and along with Jamie, we are your hosts, and we will be discussing all the important things that you need to run a successful fitness business, from marketing, to lead generation, to sales, to retention, to staff, and much, much more. So if you are a fitness business owner, then this is for you. We hope you enjoy the following episode, and we will speak with you soon. Well, we're back, mate. Beautiful. Let's dive in, shall we?
0: Awesome, mate. So as I mentioned, Will is the founder of Primabolic Supplement Company, stocking a wide range of supplements from A to Z, optimizing all things from human performance, including, of course, building muscle, reducing body fat. But Will, how I start every podcast, mate, is if I met you at a party and I walked up to, hey, Will, my name's Jamie. And I said, what do you do? What is your answer to that question, mate?
1: i will say, hi, Jamie. Nice to see you again. Uh, I, would, I would then go, no, no. I would, I would start essentially going, hi, I'm Will. I own Prime Box Nutrition. I've been, I've run a supplement company for the last 10 years, I'm traveling all over Australia, talking about supplements, hormones, nutrition, how to optimize biology, how to biohack our way out of a pretty crazy modern lifestyle. How, to, how do we help give ourselves a catcher's mitt against how intense life is at the current pace? That's And that's how I try and design products to to become that catcher's mitt for people. So that, that'd be sort of how I'd summarize what i do. It's an interesting term, mate, define catches mitt. What, what do you mean by that? me mitt, by what I mean, is a bit of a, uh, a player in your corner, a um, something that can, I suppose, be your uh, go-to option in a time where we have a lot of things working against us, biologically speaking, with stress, with the amount we work, with the amount of burdens that we have in terms of commitments, whether that be work, family, partner, otherwise, uh, training, food, looking at all the different things that accumulate and uh, you know, we have to tackle to, to sort of navigate um Sort of how yeah, the fast-paced modern lifestyle we have, that can Those do things, things to our But right?
0: certain so. times when you have to burn the candle at both ends, your products biohacking will allow you to push through for that short amount of time to get bingo. the most out of your work, most out of your business, while maintaining a certain level of health.
1: Bingo, bingo. Well said. Yep, very well summarized. Hundred percent.
0: And where where did that passion come from? like because I met you seven years ago and I remember this big muscular bodybuilder passionate about lifting heavy things.
1: <laughs> Indeed mate, I was very big on bo- bodybuilding early on, I, got, I sort of caught the bug at it, on it when I was in, uh, I started weights at 21 and before that I'd just grown up on a farm and most of my stuff had been always outdoors and physical but I was never really a um in, in I suppose that greater shape and genetically speaking I wasn't really built for bodybuilding either and it I suppose when I started um, my weight training journey, I'm very endomorphic. So you'll see in that body type, typically we carry a bit more body fat than usual. We find it a bit harder to lose body fat, but we build muscle easily. So I took to weight training very, very well. But obviously, I had a bit of an interesting scenario where my my two brothers were both ectomorphs. They were both very, you know, built like greyhounds, right? They were walking sets of abs year-round. Despite having the same nature, nurture, environment, I was endomorphic. I was, you know, 96 kilos at 11 years old. I was a very, very overweight child, sort of, you know, and, and my two brothers just identical nature, diet, environment, everything were very, very different, right? So I went, what's different here? And that started me thinking when I approached weight training, approach formulating, approach fitness in general, I always looked at it from the lens of what influences us the most then to move the needle in a big way on body composition. And for me, it was like, well, if all the factors are the same, if all the variables, diet, exercise, output, all that is the same, but we have very different pictures here. We have, you know, literally either... body fat versus 30, in the exact same inputs, what changes the input versus output? Because as you know, in fitness, everything's about calories in, calories out. But we don't Mm. speak about what manipulates calories in, calories out. So I went very hormonally focused early on and to optimize my own biology, that's where I started looking at Thyroid function. How does your metabolism actually function? Looking at stress, looking at testosterone, looking at what actually optimizes your biology to, to what input. Everything's downstream of those hormones, right? How metabolism mm. functions, how stressed our body is will dictate how we partition nutrients, build muscle, burn fat, or inversely, store muscle, you know, store fat, burn muscle, et cetera. So, um, so this, I
0: guess This, we're, be, this is going to be interesting, mate, because people just think I run Facebook. ads and know nothing about fitness. So we're going to go full-on <laughs> fitness nerd. So the idea <laughs> would be is- one of the biggest factors to impact weight loss would be your NEAT, your non-exercise activity thermogenesis. And if yeah. your hormones are working correctly, if you're sleeping correctly, if you're putting yourself in a position to be in the healthiest state possible, then your neat's going to increase. Therefore, you expend more calories. Therefore, you lose more body body fat.
1: Yeah, 100%, mate. And even more so than just looking at it from a NEAT, like an actual strictly um, activity-based perspective, if you get the average person walking to a gym – Let's say we have, you know, they're having less than optimal sleep quality. They've got financial stress. You know, they're trying to juggle a family, juggle a high stress job as well. They're working late hours. They're on their phone from morning till night. Lots of blue light. All those sort of things are sources of stress as well. So let's say that person is under a lot of stress. What we see is usually then a bit of an over-response in our, I suppose, our nervous system in our our stress hormones tend to be over-secreted. So we look at the stress hormones like cortisol and so on. And so mm. if we assume that person walking to the gym to so you and you're going, I'm gonna get these people results, awesome. This is how I build my business. I'll get this person a cookie. Yeah, you know, here's the bread and butter meal plan, here's the bread and butter training program. Cool. And then nothing happens to that client. They they spin their wheels, they're actually not progressing week to week. They got stubborn body fat around their lower stomach and lower back. And you're like, What's why aren't they shifting weight? Like they're they're plateauing in the weight programs, they're not actually increasing weights, they're just, you know, like literally either they're not progressively overloading, they're maintaining they're at best sometimes going backwards even you know go, what's going on here mm-hmm. like the logical inputs should mean the output happens but what, what i'm saying i suppose is more it goes deeper than neat it's looking at well if that person has very high cortisol very high stress well then that down regulates metabolism that down regulates for example if they're a female that will um really screw with hormonal uh imbalances that'll they'll you know, steal some progesterone and screw with cycle and fertility and all sorts of things that, again, make it easier to store body fat, more fluid retention. Um, in men, yep. that'll energy, motivation. So we ha- we look at these factors and go, well, these all directly influence both caloric expenditure and the outcomes and results. So really, if you're trying to build a business on this, you've got to sort of also understand the person walking through the door isn't just calories in, calories out, a perfect mathematical model. They're a human with hormonal nuances that will dictate how fast or slow they burn calories at rest. And therefore, what results you need to get as a gym owner Needs to be more comprehensive than just calories in, calories out, meal plan, training plan. That's where supplementation always came in. I went, well, how can we, if we can pull some quarters off that person, reduce that stress load, then that person starts burning fat easier, building muscle easier, and mm-hmm. so on. And then you got, then it gives the coach the idea, the ability to control some variables, so they can almost guarantee outcomes with their clients, as opposed to hoping, just hoping for the best, so to speak. It's going, you know, control. So
0: to summarize. Well, I try and make this as simple as possible for our audience. Most people have heard of the flight or fight state.
1: Yes, perfect.
0: The majority of people talk about all you need to do is be in a calorie deficit. And we're like, well, hang on. If you're in a flight or fight state, you're pushing shit uphill. You're sleeping poorly. You're expending less energy. Your leptin, your ghrelin's gone through the roof. It's going to be harder for you to maintain that calorie deficit. So you're saying calories are king. However, how we put that in place is a very, very different result at the end of a 10, 12, 16, 20-week cut.
1: Massively, massively, mate. Huge, huge result. And if you want to look at like what that did, for example, um, when there's some studies on people who have got uh, high stress results for you know, so sort of high cortisol versus not during four and six week results, it can be the difference of. Uh, One study was about a 35% difference in uh, muscle mass loss. So the group in the high stress individuals, they had um, doctors on shift work, for example, uh, they they lost 35% less fat than the group um, who was under normal working conditions and less stress and so on. 35% more muscle was lost in the high stress group during a dieting phase. So if you look at what that can mean for you over a 16 week cut, it can be massive for how much muscle you retain or fat you lose. So they're really quite massive sort of impactful factors if you think about them
0: yeah of course of course and mate i can see you light up when you talk about these things because i'm sure you hear calories in calories out calories in calories out and then our clients or people follow calories and calories out and as you said they just continue to spin their wheels mm, so someone who it. is doing calories in calorie out what do you feel like is the is the two to three best things they can do to help them maintain that deficit in a healthy way that doesn't ruin their
1: life yeah definitely St- sleep optimization is almost all three of them if you ask for top three sleep would almost yeah. be a big enough lever to pull but it would almost take up the weight of the top three anyway combined sleep if we look at for example a group of athletes that went through a four-week diet on exactly the same calorie intake they did a group that slept eight hours versus six hours the group that slept six hours a night only two hours difference in sleep they lost 55 percent less fat than the ones that slept eight hours 55 percent right, right? And, we're, and we're talking about trying to get results for clients, right? 55 nothing, no supplement, legal or otherwise, can beat that in performance, right? Like, it doesn't, yeah, it's if sleep was a drug, it would be illegal in the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great one. I'm gonna use that. Uh, that's that's what really, I'm gonna borrow that one, mate. Uh, so like if you look, at, and then if we flip that and go, well, what if fat loss isn't you? Got what is muscle growth? Well, the eight hour group versus six hour group, the six hour group lost 60% more muscle at the same time. It wasn't instead of mm-hmm. like they, they lost 55% less fat and they lost more muscle as well. So if that's, and that's in four weeks, imagine again, yeah. scale this out to average person. A lot of your listeners are people who own gyms, clients walk in and go, I want to sign up with you for a 12 week challenge. Awesome. Well, if you can over three months, then imagine how much that would magnify what it looks like for losing muscle and building fat in that period of time. It's like a reverse recomp. It's the worst outcome ever. Like if you're trying to guarantee results for your clients to guarantee, you know, steady client retention, increase sales, incre- then you've really got to look at these things because that's that in itself optimizing mm-hmm. sleep. So I'd say length of sleep in itself is the big one. The average sleep, they did a sleep study of like 240,000 people in the US um, this year. The average sleep was 6.5 hours and it was over-reported by half an hour in clients as well. So, when, so they put them on sleep trackers yeah. and they went, you the know, well, on the, the same way our
0: clients under-report their food.
1: Yes, which again is around about a 30% buffer, is what, what we, most people's calorie tracking yeah. is approximately 30% off. So when we look at, um, I suppose, sleep, it was overreported by half an hour when the people were, when the subjects were asked how much do you sleep, and then versus what they actually slept when they put a sleep track on, like a garment or a thing or whatever. So it's, it's what, so yeah,
0: interesting, because the principles that apply to grow a successful business are the principles that apply to good health. Do the basics. Just basics. do the basics and stop looking for that shiny new object. Stop looking for that hack. Stop looking for the quick, get quick, get rich quick scheme. Just it's do like the basics.
1: Yeah, it all does. It all takes like a crippling amount of time. No one, no one really speaks about this in business either. And I suppose if you're a lot of your audience of business um, in this space are less on the fitness side, more on the business side. So, to zoom, to sort of zoom out and look at this at a better perspective, um, they are very similar principles, and patience is a fundamental in both fitness or business. And the reason being, like for example, um, I know you're in a, You've been in business for a long time too. Where I'm at year eight this year. Um, and, and when they, like anything worth building takes 10 years is a saying that I, that I heard early in my journey. And I sort of thought, oh, bullshit. You know, we're exceptional people. Like I'll do it in 12 months. Watch me, you know, that type of mentality. So you throw yourself at it. You throw every possible resource. You burn the bridges. You burn your boats. You hook in and you do absolutely everything humanly possible. Um, you know, you sleep less, you work more, every waking second. And there was a period where I moved to a share house, and there was three of us that were all young, um, young sort of business owners. We didn't own a TV for twelve months. We had the, the lounge room we converted. We just all had right. desks in the middle with laptops and made it a full Shark Tank environment. We had whiteboards like drilled into the walls around the hot around all four walls around us, so we could all just constantly brainstorm we had dispatch center out of the gate we converted the like the garage into a dispatch area for stock and literally just did a year of you wake up jump on a laptop work and for mm-hmm. a year right and like even at that intensity which is a disproportionate unrealistic like that was me you know single at the time no other commitments no responsibilities no family no parents not like no kids to worry about like just in a in a shark tank with just whiteboards a laptop and and boxes to pack for a year and even at that disproportionate level of input an unrealistic level of you know i suppose work-life imbalance you're still Mm. eight years on going "Mm, it's probably still another year or two before it's really going to hit you know peak potential so man that um, is
0: that's such a beautiful story right because i go to your instagram page primobolics you've sponsored some (laughs) massive athletes with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of followers yet it took you 12 months eight years ago in that shitty shed at the laptop giving up a lot of the things that people aren't willing to give up and the same applies in business, mate. Like mm. man, our business, fitness, business growth consulting story has got, gotten really, really good the last 12 months, but they don't, they forget I've owned gyms for eight years. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. It's a funny one. And this is where I suppose the, we see the, um, they go, it must be nice for you or it must be easier for you. Right. Jamie, you've owned a gym for eight years, man, of course. If you, You're if, you want
0: to, if you want to piss me off, mate, start a sentence with, it must be nice followed by anything, it will annoy
1: me irrationally. (laughs) <laughs> and it should because i suppose it has an in, like a, a inferred amount of um uh, i suppose poor understanding around the fact that any any prerequisite to this is a sickening amount of input right and i and i guess that was only a one-year highlight of it like before that it was i lived out of the car i was homeless for periods we did it during divorces did it during yeah you, know, you literally when i say burn the boats i mean burn relationships burn friendships burn like have no social life for probably a three to five year period of that have no like no relationship quality for three to five years of that. Have, like literally. For your friends don't see you for periods of time, for a year at a time, and you rock up at the end of the year and they go, where were you? I was, oh, I was in seven states and I, li- I did 130,000 Ks in my car. Oh, cool. Nice. Mm-hmm. So like it's been that for every year. And then even bringing staff in now, you go, oh, that that affords you scaling time, right? If you bring staff in to do so. Like you see at a gym, you might be able to just coach, you do co- you know, five classes a day with 30 clients yourself. So you can service 150 clients a day, bring in, a co- bring in additional staff. You can service an extra you know, 30% more staff, uh, more clients, but even then, I've seen, I've put, I have went from just me to 11 staff in three years and it still requires all 11 staff redlining, maximizing output to really push the needle in, in any appreciable amount still. So it's- Really
0: interesting uh, I'm going to jump in there. Maximize, maximizing staff output. Mm. I made a lot of mistakes when I first started in business. I love systems. I love SOPs. I love checklists. Over the years, how have you- improved as an owner a ceo a visionary to help maximize staff output
1: yeah this is a big one uh, now especially because i think a lot of small business owners start in the place where you that you wear many hats you are everything right so for, for the beginning i did my own like i would my own bookkeeping my own invoicing i would pack the order then drive it and deliver it to the person i did literally every part of it i'd be the salesman the formulator every single it was just a one-man band and i ran every single part of the business then the next sort of thing was eventually went it outgrew doing it out of a garage. so I had to do it in a small warehouse. And again, still packed my own orders and did everything because you have more rent and so on. So to answer that question in a roundabout way, for the first few years, there was, uh, I did most of it myself. So when I brought staff in, initially there was struggle with delegating because you struggle with letting go of control of something you've had for so long. So part one mm-hmm. is recognizing your own limitations and understanding that you're, Ability to delegate is your ability to grow. Is your ability Wait, to what, grow?
0: What were your limitations? Like, if you were to do a SWOT analysis on your strengths, mm. self-strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, like, where
1: where did you struggle the most? Well, I suppose early on, it was always um, look. Part of it was opportunities were massive because, and this is when you said you, uh, you know it must be easy for you, Jamie, right? For example, or it must be easy for the multi-million dollar brand, or it must be easy for whatever. Well, I suppose the bigger guy versus the smaller guy, Alex Hormozzi has a beautiful analogy about this one. Everyone has opportunities at different levels of the game. The opportunities for the large brand that you have, yes, lots of, you know, there's a huge store network. You've got lots of staff. You've got lots of things you can leverage off. But the opportunities in the small business owner are great in that, for example, my, my opportunities and strengths back then were that I could offer disproportionate amounts of service compared to what I can now because if I've got you know several hundred stores to service now versus back then there might have only been 20 well I can offer those 20 people my undivided attention train their staff do seminars in their store drive there and hand deliver orders I can do so your strength as a small business owner with less staff are still very powerful strengths because they will always be your advantage over the bigger player as soon as you get more gyms you know if you own a 20 gym franchise for example you can't physically give one-on-one customer service you can't
0: the I actually told you, But we actually do gym launch in Australia. That's what we do. We have a done for you gym launch service in Australia. So I'm the biggest Alex Hermosi fan on earth. And the exact way he describes it was like, you can sign up to gym launch in the U S with KLO and Alex Hermosi And they've got hundreds of testimonials, thousands of testimonials, or you could sign up to Will and Will's mum's basement. And Will can say, well, Hey, you're going to deal with me directly. I'm your only client. Alex doesn't care about you. He's got acquisition.com. So I love that analogy. No matter what stage in business you're in, you actually have strengths and opportunities you don't even realize that you have.
1: Bingo. You can leverage it. I thought you'd be a fan for sure. I adore his content. <laughs> and I think it's a really good one because I temper that though with a little bit. It's easy though to listen to that in advance, but it's good to do a combination of living it too, because I think that's easy in theory, but you genuinely do have advantages at each point as much as you have disadvantages. So for example, early on, capital is near zero. You have no, no capital to invest, so you can't. Oh, yeah, that, that's a strain. So limited resources, limited, limited capital, capital. They're your weaknesses. They're your, they're your sort of um, big issues with with growth and what have you. Um, the second part is customer acquisition is near zero at the beginning. Like you are really begging for every single sale. You're really pushing shit uphill, trying to get every single customer, every single tub you can sell, Every in the gym model, every single client you can try and sign on, every single 12-week challenge you can try and pre-sell. Every Everything is pushing so hard to get every sale you can on the board. right? And then... And that's probably the way for me for the first five, six years. Then it sort of reaches critical momentum. And eventually it starts that, that you sort of reach the top of the mountain and that snowball starts rolling down the other side and then starts compounding. The compounding part I've experienced was about year five, year six. So the last year or so, the last year or two has been more so a lot of organic market demand starts coming so that that push sell becomes a pull sell later mm-hmm. on. Um, so I, I, I want to get into the
0: weeds of this. I love talking details. Run me through. As a supplement formulator, as someone who's launched your own supplement brand, obviously you worked in a few supplement shops. but outside of like East Coast Lesnup. How did you learn? How did you land your first sale in a new shop where they didn't know you existed and never had heard of your products?
1: <laughs> I'm a um, I'm a really shit case study because I'm actually I completely winged everything. I'd love to say that I have some really thought out, well thought out business principles. I didn't become a businessman until much much later. I um I winged it off basically a passion project for the first. Well, literally, probably the last twenty-four months has really demanded me to become a better operator, right? Because mate, still- mate, mate, we're all fucking winging it. Every single <laughs> person's winging it. Like, like that's
0: like, <laughs> you don't have to have everything figured out. You have to be directionally correct, and that goes back to having that ten-year vision. Well, as long as I go that way, like, <laughs> it's, a Jeff,
1: it's a Jeff Bezos quote. it's like be be be, be clear on the vision, be flexible on the details. Yeah, I like that. I like that because my mine was essentially vision only. So, my and it's um, mm. it's an interesting one because my idea was when I first started, I went, Well, this is in a market surrounded by um, so opportunity, I suppose, of the look of that would be I was in a market, so satur- like saturated by overly marketed but underdosed American products, right? And I would happen to be after being an environmental scientist for five years, so I happen to have a, a decent acumen at reading you know data and figuring out how to actually look through the literature on things. So, when I started you know examining supplements, when I first started training and loving supplements. I didn't look at it from the normal way. I suppose I looked at it how I geeked out on it instead. I went, oh, not, I didn't just go, oh, I like this pre-workout. That's mad. I went, okay, well, why do I like that? Mood, blood flow, energy production. All right, what influences these three factors? What ingredients do that? What dosages are that? What's the human studies? What's the peer-reviewed data? And then started going through it. I realized when actually putting that litmus test of that against what's on the marketplace, they were all terribly underdosed. So I, my sort of early point was I had a passion for making things that were scientifically validated and efficaciously dosed. I looked at it from a different opinion, like marketplace opinion as well because I was never actually like a very athletic sporting person who then came into um, you know, weightlifting and was just always athletic and sporty. I was the geek who could learn how to, you know, who looked at it from a hormonal lens and looked at, uh, I suppose, the comprehensive picture. So, my advantages were I formulated differently, looked at it more comprehensively, and I knew what doses were appropriate. Um, and I focused on education of people to, so other people knew what was being the, the competition, the offering of the big American hyper marketed brands was usually very, very over marketed but underdosed. Right. So, that was my so early. For, is,
0: it, is it like an example for the audience? Like your, supplement primal test i'm actually taking i love it it's got an ingredient called tonga ali which is really kind of blown up since the human podcast and you've seen supplements prior to your one that may have had that ingredient but it was like next to nothing and would have had no effect
1: bingo and you'll see this every time there's a craze and i tend to see um things that work tend to stick around long term now they're not sexy They, they, they often seem boring like in the supplement space creatine caffeine whey protein Fish oils, magnesium, probably those five, right? For the for all time, all data, everything you ever look at, there's nothing jingly about going, use magnesium. Cool. Like take fish oil daily, duh, right? But the, it works. It has mountains and mountains and mountains of data showing consistent great results across huge study sizes, right? So like in that example, yes, the, the nearest competition might go, yes, I have Tonka Ali. This is a new buzz ingredient. But when you look at things that work, and then you look at the data on those, what dosage you need for that to work and stack that up against the people who take advantage of buzzwords. They see something new and sexy comes out in the industry and they go, oh, we have that. So I put it on the label <laughs> to show that it has it. But if you read the doses required, 150.
0: Yeah. Um, the, the example in the online fitness space, one week they're preaching keto, one week they're preaching fasting, one week they're preaching gut health, one week they're preaching hormones, one week they're preaching longevity. Like they just jump yeah. because it's just, it's it's their $100 million offer because it's in the news.
1: It is. It is, and and I've been, I've been, uh, I suppose, remarkably consistent in going down the road. Like like my sort of angle of everything is always looking at it from the hormonal lens, because I try and see what can I, how can I most greatly influence calories in, calories out. So that's how I've always viewed the world, and that's my inherent bias. But I suppose that was my opportunity as well. So in terms of strengths and, and how what my initial versus later on looked like, the way I started was purely that offer ridiculous disproportionate amounts of customer service, provide that with the education focus of going, this is how I view things. This is how you can more comprehensively service your clients. So the education, so you, the one-on-one you, stuff.
0: You, your sales process was, I'm going to walk into this supplement shop, I'm going to Introduce myself to the owner. I'm going to run them through my product range, educate them on why they are better than the American products, and if you stock this, I'm also going to come into store and educate your customers in their challenge or offer, which would increase their perceived their perceived value.
1: Bingo! And look, it seems like it should be more complicated than that, but it's really not. I jumped in a Ute and went town to town to town to town for years on repeat and just became a full nomadic human being Went just literally go to different towns pull up find a supplement store go in hi i'm will this is what i do this is why i'm doing it i'm a one-man band i've done this out of my house as a startup i'm doing it bootstrapping the whole thing myself but this is what i believe would be a better solution to testosterone better solution to helping your customers lower stress better solution to helping your customers gut health helping them with whatever it might be and i'd explain it what and basically explain to them what the passion was my big vision of it is go. how can i impact how can I positively impact health on as big a scale as humanly possible and every year that scale's grown and I've been able to impact more and more people ie customers along with it and as I grow my network I therefore grow the amount of customers I can access and therefore I can impact more people positively so once I share once they know where I've come from what my vision is how my products are superior and will get the people along that way that's how I've done it and I it sounds like that has to be changed at some point but it, it honestly that's how it's ever been and when I introduce staff in I train them this way and I learn, and I show them this is the this is what I'm all about. Like, the, the boarding process is going, well, this is my vision of it. This is how I've done it. I've just bootstrapped the whole thing. It's been a, you know, just try to hold this thing together with duct tape, but this is the vision. This is what we're here for. This is why we do what we do. This is how we explain it to someone to, to show them why our things are, uh, you know, superior and will actually do what they say they do. Uh, and this is how you, how you communicate that vision to someone when you walk into a store. And you just rinse and, re- and, it just rinse and repeat. And then I, eventually when I had the, the turnover, I could finally afford to bring someone in as a sales representative to rep- to, to be me in two stores at a time. And then there was a third rep, then there's a fourth rep and so on. And then you get to a point where you can scale that presence. And then there's, you know, right now there's, there's four people walking into stores across Oz going, hi, this is our vision. This is what we're trying to do. Um,
0: yeah, and so You still go face to face. Do you use, like, do you cold call? Do you cold email? Do you Instagram DM? Like outside of doing the face to face stuff, which is an issue with scaling due to the cost of being mm. on the road. How yes. else, how else do you do it?
1: interestingly man i just decided that it was i'm old school i knew what worked i knew that in person gives me disproportionate leverage to that like the if you look at the conversion rate in person versus on a phone call for example now i call it versus back then it was just i know i can do better from in person so putting it simply you can do the job better in person than you can on a phone so i went yes i have to drive five hours to that store but i'll guarantee the outcome so i'll just do it so not that it wasn't not it's you know well thought out or even financially viable way of doing things but back then i was always broke anyway so i didn't care i was like well it doesn't have to be commercially viable whereas now if i look at a rep i go i wouldn't pay my rep to drive five hours to go to a store on the hope they'll land it for example yes i'll say reach out first give them a phone call send them a care pack with some products to try in advance so when you get there they've already done most of the they've tried your products they know the information they have a catalog they already know the information right but the way that we i did it for the first fair few years was literally just walk into a store and do that in person because the I, one, I was so desperate and broke, I had to guarantee I'd get the sale. So I knew that in, in person is my only way to really guarantee I'll get some that degree of traction. A call, mate. I, I don't know. I always just thought the more in imper- if I can do it in person, I can probably guarantee the outcome. So I would go in there, do the and do the pitch myself, and I just did that ad nauseum for five years. Now I've so got mate, staff. There's a new process, but
0: I've got no idea how to run a company. I, I wouldn't have a clue in terms of like formulation ordering the right amount of stock, making sure they're used by date. How do stores order? Do you give a discount on bulk purchases? Can you run me through that process for anyone out there who would be interested in like potentially formulating their own product? Like how 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 do you go from an idea to a protein powder to Mr. Supplement man, please buy my protein?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was a, um, yeah, damn. I didn't know either. If it makes you feel any better. Uh, I winged it as well for so long. Uh, it, was, it was a complete, it was actually a complete fluke. The way that I first found out was that I made a, I used to make my own pre-workouts from raws because the market had no good offering. So I just buy straight creatine, straight beta alanine, straight citrulline and just blend them together in a bag and just have it as an unflavored amino acid sort of blend. So, and then I I happened to, I just completely fluked it once one time. I happened to have a, uh, I I sort of looked at what I was using and someone reached out to me on a, um, on a very, very early forum. I think it was Aussie muscle asylum actually. (laughs) And, And said, mate, what you're using for yourself is awesome. Like have you ever considered making that into something and, it, uh, it ended up being, I thought, oh, well, you know, so a the tub, see what you can do. And, you know, could, could you even do that? Could you blend it together? And so I literally got a, a sample tub and used it all together. And this is the first time it was flavoured, so it was even better. Uh, and I was blown, and you try it, and, I, was, and I, I thought, well, this is a pretty cracker mix, nothing on the market's anything like it. So I started showing some friends, and then they, they would sort of go, well, wow, this is this is impressive. Nothing on the market works like this and so on. So the way I did it was more so just by complete fluke, right? But the way if someone else listening were going, how would I start a supplement company? Formulation is key. I, I'm a big believer on nothing. You can't build a castle on sand. If the product doesn't work, there's no point progressing to stage two, right? So and
0: Yeah, it's to- interesting, right? Because like I can clearly tell that you're a product guy over a marketing guy. Mm. And when you have the good product, it actually markets itself. Therefore, longevity in the industry and, mate, I'm not in the industry, but there are so many flash-in-the-pans pre-workouts that pop up for 30 seconds and disappear, probably because that person was a great marketer that their pre-workout had had no caffeine in it, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And it was like a really big, um, I suppose that was a big realization too. And it was, a, it was a real pump that I took that was actually very high risk because there's a lot of, like, a lot of those brands are fly-by-nighters. They'll do a it's It's very pump and dump. I call it. Very like peaks and trough style business model where they'll release a pre-workout, sell it out, do huge sales and so on. But then... It's a flavor of the month style business, right? Whereas I always went for the punt of going, well, rather than trying to capitalize on that short-term growth, those big, you know, chase the shiny thing, I went, no, this is my plan. This is my vision for the brand. These are the sort of products I want to make. So my, one of my first pre-workouts was a non-stim five years ago where a non-stim didn't exist and no caffeine pre-workout was just a stupid idea back then. But I stuck my guns and went, this is why I believe this is a good idea and just maintained my thought process and vision on it. In a consistent way. Now, what it's done is it meant instead of our turnover being, like you said, a flash in the pan, just up, down, up, down, up, down, having to make a new product every 10 seconds, instead it's been more like that. Mm. Very nice linear growth as opposed to uh, that sort of roller coaster cycle. So I suppose it's
0: like 10 people try the product, they get results, it runs out in 30 days, they buy 10 more, and they tell their friends they buy 10, it just snowballs down that hill.
1: It does. It has to be product first. And the reason I say this as well is because the amount of if you're doing it for any other reason so you, when you pick this business model if you and if people listening now and go oh, okay i want to go start a supplement company great fantastic now the i would say there's two factors in that I'll, I'll explain the thought process and how it actually runs the nuts and bolts that's easy but more realistically when i say it's product first it also has to be that vision and the product has to be the passion piece and i say that because if you're going for money as circling back to the first part of this conversation it's if it's going to be a 10 10 year payoff. For you to have ten years of stress resilience, ten years of being able to just eat shit for, for that for a decade before you see decent return, before you see a really worthwhile, um, you know, I suppose uh, until you've built a real, you know, something worth um, building, you're gonna run out of you're gonna run out of motivation if it's based on money. I, I can just guarantee. If, if it's capital based if you're going going, oh, I'm going to do this to get rich, you'll time out before the real success can come. Like if I'd gone to this and gone, I'm doing, I'm going to build prime blocks for money. I would have stopped logically years ago because at, when you're growing, you have to reinvest every cent into growth and, and usually more. So you don't get a payday mm-hmm. until it's done growing. But if you want your business to grow, you keep growing, right? So you, if I'd done it for money, well, there's, there was, there's been no payday for that period of time because I was growing at such a rapid rate. So you have to pick a motivational source. You start in that business, you have to be really, really passionate about supplementation, about what it can do to help people. Then you have to go from there and make something that will actually deliver that vision out. to to, before you even start so that's prerequisite one make sure the product
0: works to steve jobs quote like you have to love what you do because it's going to be difficult it's going to be hard there's going to be a tremendous amount of hurdles that you're not even aware are going to be in the way and if you don't love what you do like you have to be crazy enough to keep going over those hurdles to keep doing that vision just to see it so clearly in the future because any sane person would give up if it was based on money
1: It was exactly right. Exactly right. You would. It's a very, very shitty equation when you look at like, you know, services rendered versus time paid. Like if I look at people that I went to school with, for example, who instead went through life, went through a steady job, have now then over 10 years, then they got promoted, you know, steady income all that sort of jazz versus the model that I've had, which has been very much a boom and bust, been broke for 10 years, but you bootstrapped it, you grow, and thank Christ it's paid off. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's the risk we take, right? And, and you, quite often along the way, it, it, you, there's very little signs of return. There's not even a lot of, you know, clear indicators or milestones along the way. And the milestones might be six months apart. So you've got six months of grind, or 24 weeks hey, of consistent you a supplement work.
0: company, what, what were the milestones? Was it based on revenue, based on profit, based on products sold, based on affiliates? How did you quantify profit moving forward
1: <laughs> i started in a hilariously retar- like really really bad play so i started i thought i was going to get from the beginning a massive contract right so i guess like, su- summarizing an early story I-, I did i sort of did all the right things worked in stores like east coast supplements like nutrition warehouse i worked in stores that were around the area and built up sort of a knowledge and i, I had the shot at a massive contract with nutrition warehouse which is a massive franchise but to do mm-hmm. so i went out and leveraged everything i could i begged borrowed steel got credit cards got personal loans got lent, lent money from friends lent money from grandparents did everything and bought a quarter of a million dollars of stock to try and go for this one shot that i thought i had so i started the business day one negative 254 grand so i All started right. a quarter of a million in the red as a sole trader with no existing trade network so so my sort of where do i measure it off it was survive. It was, you are fucked, survive. It was, you started off a quarter, you started off a quarter million in the red. Now you have no choice but to, but to grow. You have to, so my goal has always been. Yeah, it's that going million,
0: the- that, sorry, that, that quarter million, the whole, the nutrition warehouse contract, did it not, did it not come through?
1: No, it was, yeah. So it fell through. So I, I suppose I did the, why, I, uh, I would. Why
0: <laughs> not? Why didn't it go through?
1: So it was the, well, this is a very valuable lesson for your listeners, right? This, this is the part that I didn't realize too early on. I was of the impression that if you put a product to market of amazing quality, that the market will recognize said quality and, and responding kind by purchasing your product. What I learned is that it's not just that. It's product quality, but product, like market awareness is as big as product quality in a lot of ways. Yeah, I'm just
0: gonna stop you right there. Every single personal trainer, online coach needs to hear that. There are a lot more talented technical fitness coaches than myself and Mitch, and we have more members than you, right? Mm. Your mm. product, your knowledge, Is to a point of diminishing returns if you don't learn to market, don't learn to sell and to create awareness and to ultimately advertise what you have.
1: It's a really, really good point there. That's very, it's very interesting because, like you said, I'm by, if you haven't figured out yet, audience, I'm not by any means a marketing expert. I, because I didn't expect this to i didn't go into this running businesses before this so i'd always and you know, i've done a million careers i've been you know the military or i was a geologist for a while i was an environmental scientist i worked in everything under the sun but i hadn't done it i hadn't run a business before and when i started this i just went i wonder i reckon i can pull this off i reckon i can once i figured out how to manufacture supplements and so on but that is a very very valid point that i learned too this national contract came in with 68 stores all across the country and i went i'm going to get basically like prime placement in 68 different stores you walk in, as the first thing you see on a big bay at the end of every shelf, your my product's right there. And I did an aggressive deal as well. So I offered a crazy, crazy deal you would never see again um, to try and win customers. So I went, I want a shot at this and I wanted to give them Sorry, a deal. So
0: to find a crazy deal. You gave them a really, really great price to buy your cost price products, which lowered your margin.
1: Bingo, massively lowered them. So I went for example, I went, for example, buy a product, get one free, which is just ridiculous. In economics, it makes no sense. I also then agreed to float that.
0: And on that quarter million, like, would have you just broke even? Would have you been profitable? Or is that your play? I need to get these products in as, in as many hands as possible.
1: It was the play was that this was the initial, because I'd, I'd worked there before. So I went, I know what happens when these are successful. I know the rate of sell-through on a successful promotion on this particular, they call it a gondola end. So if you get this gondola end, you're in the, the, you know, the first thing people see in 68 locations around the country when they walk into a store, your prime placement, they advertise it all over socials. I'm like, well, I'm a no-name brand. Advertising like this for a massive brand will give me huge exposure and lots of customers. Sales will be huge. It'll accelerate me years, right? And that was the plan. Is once you do a, like a gondola in special, if you do these massive campaigns, if you're successful, they put you on what they call their planogram, which is basically their store model. So every time they open a store in all those 68 stores, you'd be guaranteed to be stocked moving forward with recurring guaranteed orders. So it was like basically my one deal ticket. Clear,
0: you have like a bit of a test run on on the at the front of the store. They advertise it. If your sell-through percentage is higher than expected, then they put you on a reoccurring model where they say, hey, we're going to order X amount of revenue off you per month for the next 12 months, 24 months, 36 months. Is that, is that correct?
1: Yeah, bingo, bingo. And that was based off, of, obviously, off the success of it. Now, I put out a formula that at the time, like on this pre-workout. So it was a pre-workout product and an intra workout product that I put to market. And it was a like cracker formula, like beat anything that was on the on the shelf at the time. And it was in all these locations, set it up, got the stock in, had it ready. And I had that quarter of a million stock was there because that was meant to supply the initial promotion and then the rollout as well. So it was enough to sort of, you know, cover uh, a certain period of time because I was expecting this would do well because the formula is so good. How could it not, right? You go, this product's so great. The discount's so hectic. I'm giving yeah. away a free product with it. How could they not buy it? You'd be dumb not yeah. to. It's the first thing you see. You yeah, this is yeah. be, the, this'll be, this'll the a the cool equivalent,
0: thing. In, the equivalent in the gym world is I've done 10 Pelican courses, but no one knows who Polican is anymore right like like rest rest in peace charles but like you need to market your product and what will my favorite show on tv is called shark tank have you watched it before
1: yeah i love it love it yeah yeah Yeah. every
0: single time a product comes in and it's not you can look at it and identify what that is they say every single time it is so hard to educate the consumer on a new thing of why it is good for them and i think that's probably what you struggled with like I've been in the industry eight years, mate, and I still don't know I still don't know what ingredients I should be taken.
1: <laughs> and, and it's a real we're, we're luckier now, man. And this is like this is the fucking this is like the renaissance for supplements. This is the era of enlightenment, right? Like no and people know way more now than they did back then. Mate, eight years ago, mate, even creatine was a fight, was voodoo, right? Like no one knew anything about supplements in GenPop because it was all that was pre-Facebook, it was pre-Instagram, yeah. early Facebook era. The ability to deliver huge amounts of education on mad platforms, like having influencers talking about creatine to three million followers. That, was, that We didn't have an ability to access millions of people and tell them on a broad scale. People forget the supplement industry existed prior to social media. It was in magazines and person-to-person. It was old yeah. school, right? Like we, so and, when I started, and, it was... Predominantly, it was like bodybuilding.
0: And then now the products are going more mainstream into germ pot. I remember um, my local supplement store with ASN mate. I'm sure you know Dax. Uh, has mm. started. Is it, is it Next Journey Supplement Company?
1: Yeah, um, yeah man. Yeah, Dax is awesome.
0: Yeah, in every single ASN store, there was a big jacked
1: dax behind the counter.
0: <laughs> it, like, it was like the local town local town bodybuilding legend
1: it is it is and, and that was very much the way supplementation was early early on was always put. you know it was so i suppose the um yeah, products for meatheads and that's it you know it's purely for gym bros it's pre-workouts high stims lots of caffeine you know proteins and creatines it was all about building muscle and, and now i suppose where, where i always which is why i was fortunate in because i wasn't all that for most of my life When I came into it, I started looking at the more outside the box stuff and more what you classify now as more appealing to mass market, more gen pop style supplements, less about the weight training and powerlifting and bodybuilding and stims and gear and food and everything. Now it's more about how can we help someone, micronutrients, stress, hormones, looking at people's nutrition, looking trying to give them, I suppose, the more relevant to the average person to the everyday person is my my big vision for it is is how to optimize health for the everyday person um, and and make a, a range of supplements for the everyday use for the everyday person to give them everyday sort of health is the plan I literally have a product called everyday health for that reason that's the whole vision of it, is to give give these people a th- some, sort of something they can use um, in, an era, in an era of crazy demand on us, high stress, high everything, high workload, give, you, give them the things they can use each day for health. So I guess the, the early on though was not that. It was always like you said, walk in a store, big bro, He's probably eating his food behind the counter. Yeah, do you want a mask, dinner Over there. Go get it, dude. Yeah, nice. Um, yeah, so it's, it's changed a lot. It's evolved heaps. Much like gym space has evolved a lot. And like you said, back then, you'd get in each town, the same with coaching and PT, and you'd have the guy who's very knowledgeable. Everyone just went to that guy because he was just the guy. But that limits you to the fishbowl that you're in as well. Yeah, yeah. And I, I never marketed, which is weird. I didn't do a single boosted ad, Facebook ad, SEO, like anything, and continued not to, um, weirdly enough. Seventy percent of sales in supplements in Australia are word of mouth referral based. Uh, and really, I wouldn't mm, expect that. that.
0: So, no so what about referral based? Are you, t- are you including affiliates? Go to this link, buy this product. Uh,
1: yes, that was that was in that as well. Like like the um, I suppose referral can also be from influencer recommendations and so on. But seventy percent mm. is still someone telling someone. I use this and it's you know and it helps me in X Y Z areas. I reckon you should too. That's mm. so. And I, and I and I didn't know that until quite that statistic until quite recently. That's quite a recent one too. Statistic that was like twenty twenty one. But the interesting part is I, I had never actually marketed before per se outside of just doing my old school thing, and probably very similar to a lot of your small business owners, guys starting a shed going. And I was blessed in that I, I had a quite a decent amount of working knowledge, so I was the smart supplement guy that would go into a store and have the talk, you know, and and do my thing and have my explain my vision and pitch and yeah you know, educate. But I I wasn't I didn't market the product I didn't plan to scale because i didn't even know if this would pay off and after that giant contract fell on its face i did that gondola in, and that big lesson being that you know i suppose no matter how good that formula was and how aggressive that discount was that i gave for customers on this crazy offering bugger all of it moved because no one knew what the product was no one had heard the brand before there wasn't customer awareness so it sold in stores where i was known and then didn't sell in other areas and so that fell on its face and i learned a very good lesson early on that you have the greatest formula on the planet the greatest education on a small scale, but you have to have market awareness. You have to be able to get that message out there. Um, you have to be able to do that on scale and and you know, to, to actually get real growth and success. So it was a harsh lesson. It nearly bankrupted mm-hmm. me and it put me in a really uncomfortable place for like three, four years where I had immense pressure to sell because I was always so far behind then from the beginning. Uh, so maybe so we really spoke tough.
0: about the struggle for 40 minutes straight. I want to get some positivity onto this podcast. Yeah. I want to what happened year six year seven and year eight when things huh. started to turn around what was the the turning point and like where is Preambolics today in
1: 2023 well, well this is the optimistic part when i say struggle early on it was only because it also because i was doing what i was doing offering that small disproportionate of service it actually doubled revenue every single year from when it started till now and that's why i like literally doubled every year reliably until now so when i when i paint the picture of doom and gloom, i just mean from like trying to – I always just make it my mission that when I'm talking to young business owners and people who are, you know, young, uh, wanting to be entrepreneurs or people who want to start businesses, I like to paint them a very realistic picture early on. Because if you know – you know, because it's so glorified now. It's like, no, if you've done it, it's it's not glorious.
0: It's a guy guy in Bali with his MacBook Pro sending one email earning 10K a month. That is not what business is, ladies and gentlemen. It is a grind. And (laughs) you need to accept that, like, there are going to be periods – where you go through a tremendous amount of struggle to come out the other side, to reap the rewards and to, I guess, create the vision that you once had when day day one.
1: Bingo. And look, we went, we went from, so in that early stage, I went from probably 20 retails in year one to 500 plus now, for example. So like in terms Uh, of, and and like last year it was more than double, it was like 114% growth. So it was more than doubled in the last 12 months as well. There have been years where it nearly tripled as well. So like the, that was what I did, even though it was very old school, no marketing, literally just me and a ute full of stock and just drove from town to town. It worked and, it, and the product worked, and that built a very reliable sell through as well. Those stores would order the product, but customers would try it and it worked. So they'd resonate with it, stick with it. It's like if you find a gym or a coach who, you know, they get you good results, you stick with that coach, right? Same with the product. If you, get, if you use something every day that says this will give you better sleep and you do sleep better, you will use that to get better sleep. So it's just make the product work, right? Uh, and, and going back so- to your long-term
0: vision of being a product guy, like you've built up such a, such a high level of credibility. Hey, my products work. I respect your time. I respect your money. I respect your results. Then you release the next product in the line and people are generally excited for it.
1: Bingo. And it compounds. You do get a certain bit of credibility and integrity by doing that and by never compromising in it as well. Like delivering a certain level of service to people listing and starting businesses if you are uncompromising on the level of service that you offer, whether it's a service or a product, um, if you remain there, it may seem there. Are, there's always opportunities to cheapen your product to increase our profit margin or to cheapen your service or make it easier for you and so on and, and to try and, you know, maximise your return on investment. But that's a short term.
0: I, I want to jump in there, right? So it is hard to say no to money. Yes. Yeah. And the, big, the bigger you get, the more successful you get. The bigger the discount you can get if you go down the path of cheapening your service or cheapening your products, man. Like, how have you, how have you continued to stay say no to like I am going to actively keep my profit margin lower than it could be because I want the customer to have the best experience. Because, man, this that's is that's, cool. that's that's the biggest fucking sign of integrity I can think of. It's a brutal,
1: it is brutal, but especially because like I said, starting quarter million in the red, you have to like really you're sitting there on your accountant and they're going, you need to make more profit. You are not going to float yourself, you are gonna to have to be broke for you know for the next you will take you three years to trade out of this. And you have but if you formulate it, it's a short-term thing, man. If you if you trim your service, if you trim your product, if you for, basically cheat your vision, like it's it's a short-term game. One, because from a just purely like actual transactional point, the customer tries the product and it no longer delivers what it says it does or does as good as it says. That's a short-term game. That will not re- that will not guarantee retention. Now I took this. I've like sort of stuck by my guns on this one. The temptation is there to put out something because, like you said, a lot of people don't know most supplementation. I could put in, pick out the tonkali at primal test. I could put that in at a third the dose, and no one would know because no one knows the studies like I do anyway. I could have done it and just and you could hoodwink people and you could microdose things. That's what the supplement industry used to be before I started in it. But again, it's building that castle on sand. You get you sale once, you never build a repeatable business. And it's also cheating your vision. There's no point in doing it if you if you do, if you don't do what you set out to do, then don't do it at all. So I think it takes. Well, one of my favorite
0: things, look- mate, is you don't get a client to make a sale. You make a you make a sale to get a client. And what I mean by that is you get repeat purchases. And that first sale, that first transaction, that first use of your service, that first use of your product. Better be a fucking great experience if you want them to be a client and not a one-off sale.
1: Oh, a million percent. And so I took that punt and I've, I stuck my guns on it. And despite the accountant yelling at me regularly, monthly for years going, make it cheaper, trim product, you continue to trim it here, can you cut 5% here? And I just stuck my guns on it. And no, I'll just make less profit and wait it out. And it's hard because in, in stores where it's a very competitive market, you know, uh, other brands will go to retails and go, I could offer you a great discount, take us on instead. And I just had to rely on that, you know, again, the disproportionate amounts of service that I would give to try and continue to you know incentivize them to, to stay. And, and it's it's been a, an uphill battle, don't get me wrong. But and like even now, again, it would be great. Like I know there are supplement companies who operate at double my profit margins. And that's obviously has its own you know advantages. But it's what I'm building, I think, is and, and the, the data from it shows that it pays off in the end. You play the long run if you double every year then like not fuck you doing something right, yeah? And it, like you yeah, might And, and it's, it's a
0: man. In, it's a man in the mirror. Mm. Like imagine the level of anxiety. Imagine the level of incongruence. The lack of conviction you would have in your words if you knew you were going against your values and microdosing, even know that you could get away with it, even know that you could make money. And man, that's a true sign of character, man. So it's really, really, I really respect that.
1: Thank you, mate. It's not the easy one to say no, because saying no to money. And like, like I guess going to that Hormozzi references, woman in the red dress, right? Like you get all these opportunities as you get bigger. In in small days, it's like- She gets hotter and hotter, mate. She does. And you keep like back in the day, that represented saying no to an order. You go into a small town and you promised one retailer you'd be exclusive in that town. You'll only stock them. And then the competitor rings you and goes, I've got five grand in a credit card right now and you're broke, and you don't know how you're going to pay your bills that week, and you've got nothing to go, but you went, I promise that store I'll stay exclusive, so I'll say no, right? Now that looks like, I think the last order I got was about a 70 grand PO, but it will, it will again, screw with what my word was to some other people, and you say no. So you'll say no to $70,000 now, and I'm sure in two years, I'll be saying no to 100, 200 grand opportunities, and you just...
0: Yeah, we had an opportunity to work with... Uh, I want to say this without giving it away. It was, a, it, was <laughs> a, it was a massive gym a well-known gym gym with us sh- owned by Australia's number one fitness influencer and I said no to them because we just didn't align in values and that cost me <laughs> I don't even know <laughs> and, 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 and leading up to that decision when I said no to the woman in the red dress and I stopped working them as a client there was so much anxiety in me but then the second I had that conversation said no like we have different values, different beliefs, and I stuck to my 10-year vision. Man, what a weight off my shoulders.
1: Isn't it just, mate? It's uh, If you have to convince yourself of something, then it's not worth doing. It was, always, it was something that a friend of mine said once, and it sticks that you're right because when there's a decision you know isn't the right answer, you find yourself trying to convince yourself in your head. So like in that answer there, you go, oh, but, you know, I did it's got amazing marketing, they give you massive exposure, I get great sales. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good. Oh, look, I'd, I'd sell it, I'd, you know, I'd ward down my vision a bit, but look, I'd, you know, be able to, you know, get more money and probably maybe impact someone with a side hustle. Or something. you know, I'd, I'd make it work. I'd make it work. But if you have to, if you hear that dialogue in your head where you're convincing yeah. yourself of an outcome, if you have to convince yourself, it's the wrong outcome because you're trying to fight your intuition of what the right thing is. You you know, that's a, that's a bad opportunity, but you know, it's the money versus opportunity versus vision. So, yeah, it's really, really interesting, mate, when you say that. It, and you're, it is very stressful because you go, oh, shit, like we had, inv- we had an opportunity for investment of a few million the other week. And you go, oh, you know, like, again, after like no payday for eight years, and you go, oh, okay, look, that would be you know, life-changing, fantastic. But again, same sort of thing. What does that do? What does that give you? Do you still have the same control? Does that person, have, someone else has a vested interest? Do they push for the whole changing of you know formulations? Again, you've got to make those hard calls. But as soon as you say, no, it's about ideas, you go, oh, Yeah.
0: Yeah, And I think think you always go back to the man in the mirror or the the woman in the mirror and look at like, well, who is Will? Who is Jamie? What are your values? What are your core beliefs? What is your identity? What are you not willing to do? And if you spot that red flag in that first conversation, the second conversation, if you have a red flag when you're starting a business or entering a partnership or doing something new, imagine what it's going to be like. If things go bad, and on that ten-year journey, things will go bad. Will
1: they will? And I, and I, I think the easiest way is to test your values with it. For example, I've never been too um, money-focused with it because I because I started broke. It was a blessing, right? I never actually cared about money because we never had any. So I've, it's always been really a blessing for me because I suppose my values then were aligned purely vision-wise. So my my values were like impact. You know, um, very very good around impact. What kind of positive impact can I have? How can I improve health? How can I go out there? And so because I was focused more on impact as my main value rather than how much money can I make? It also meant that I no longer I didn't I very clearly didn't align with people who come in and say if you do this product you can do it for this cheap and that's how much money you can make and so on and so it helped me avoid and navigate those sort of things. Whereas that's why I said earlier you've got to have a very good reason going into business because if you go in for money, you may like you align with where you go right where your attention goes result you know, results follow. If you keep going I'm going to go in this for money you'll chase those things people who align with that you might you might get seared off course from where 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 it would be the more long term sustainable. Decent outcome, like I have so far. So it's, but it's, it's not to say it's easy. But it, 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 it's, uh, it, it's, it'll, it'll, like long term, it always pays off.
0: Yeah, and it's just like I noticed it myself, mate. We're, we're doing a done for you everything service, which is Jim watch in Australia, and we get offers. Hey, can you just do this? Can you do that? Can you do this? And every single thing that isn't done for you, everything, every single thing that isn't directionally correct, it takes me hours and hours off the path. And it actually takes me hours and hours to get back onto done for you, everything. And I think if you split your focus and you chase shiny objects, the woman in the red dress, you do things against your core values, it just leads to anxiety, overwhelm. If you feel anxious, you feel overwhelmed and you haven't got preembolics supplements, you're probably going to get burned out pretty quickly.
1: You are, and burnout's a big thing that I think everyone needs to get very comfortable with if they're going to take this path on, regardless of whether it's a successful business or it's a grind or whether it's whatever space you're in. Um, I think being burnout, overwhelm and stress is something that becomes like a familiar friend in this sort of area. And you're right, when you're not clear on what your values are, why you're doing something, you don't have the vision of the why. I found that I burnt out probably five times a year previously when I didn't have more clarity around what I'm trying to do. And I find that anxiety is usually an uncertainty of future outcomes. So if I'm in a current state now where I don't know Just recently even, I was going, I sort of fucked up. I achieved my biggest goal I ever had, which was a real problem because if you have a vision that you've always worked towards for like 10 years, if you set a big pie in the sky, this is my North Star that I'll walk towards, this is my general vision, I said, impact people to a certain scale. This is where I imagine the company would get. Got there. Achieved it earlier this year. And it really mind fucked me because imagine if you set a lifelong goal, like eight years, I'm 33. It's nearly a quarter of my entire life I had one goal. That was like every that dictated direction for everything in life. So I hit that, I had to do a huge amount of personal work because you realize very quickly that if you've, once you're there, you go, oh, well, what's next? Why, so you have to, yeah. and then then after, in that period of recalibration, trying to find a new vision, what's the new North Star? Why am I doing these things? What are my values now versus when I started? Why do I want to do, You know, how do I want to move forward? Then you realize like, well- It's, it's
0: such an the- amazing thing, mate, because like Tyson Fury became the heavyweight champion in the world and went into severe depression and almost committed suicide. And Mm -hmm. every single successful person says that where like they have that North Star, they reach that goal and it's what's next. And it's almost like the person has to experience it themselves because they don't believe you. If I have X amount of money, I'm going to be happy. You're probably not going to be happy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's got to be. And then you look at like where your values are. And I value time over money now. And again, I'm lucky that I haven't had much money. So it's probably easy thing to say. But so when you're like optimizing for it, you have to ask yourself, what is your vision of the business? So if I go forward now, you go okay. Well, if you want to keep doubling each year, that will mean a certain degree of intensity on cash flow reinvestment, not pulling it out, working longer hours than usual. Can you do sixty-hour weeks for another five years? Can you have you know be, not be present for a partner? In, you know, can you not be present for your you know for your family and friends? Can you have no social life for another five years? Can you do those things? Right. So where are your real values? If it's if it's if it's connection and growth, and you can still have personal growth without it being business growth, you can still have more quality mm. time, more connection with your partner, whilst also maintaining. So so for me, for example, I optimize for lifestyle and and I had a guy who ran, he built a business, same thing as me, he built a supplement company and it went to 100 million US turnover, right? Over an 18 year span. Now he didn't pay himself for 12 of those 18 years as well. He went to a really, really crazy place and I asked him, what would you do if you had your time again and you're me? You're at year eight, this is your turnover, this is what you've sacrificed so far. What would you do? He said, mate, I've done it. I'm at a point now where my income got disproportionate to, you know, I got this crazy, crazy scale in, income went exponential, everything. My happiness didn't increase with that income. And again, you've got to get it to understand it. But he once he, he said my happiness didn't increase when I was a hundred grand a year versus 500 versus a million a year versus it didn't,
0: yeah. nothing. I,
1: I think once you hit your
0: minimum level of
1: income and for me, mate,
0: like when I first started business, my goal was to have a hundred thousand dollars in savings And I didn't even know why I had that number in mind or that goal. But once I had that level of money for me, it was like security, mortgage, health. If something happens, if shit happens, I'm going to be okay. But every single dollar after that does not make me happier. Like what makes me happy is my time, my relationship with Ellen, my relationship with my friends, acting with integrity, like doing the things that I love. And that is such a a powerful thing, right? Like, I think, I think it's a, it was a guy, Andre Rogan, and it was like, if you earn $90,000 and you've got your basic needs covered, between 90000 and $1 million a year in income makes no difference in like your day-to-day life. Maybe yeah. your house is slightly bigger, maybe you have a pool, but you're not going to be magically happier with every $100,000 that you earn. It's a fallacy. And it if is. you understand that, hey, like that extra $100,000, if my life doesn't improve, maybe I should have two more date nights instead and just... Not not be content, but just
1: understand, like, what is your North Star? Well, this is a tricky part, too. And I think that, you know, champs get depression when they achieve the goal part. It's because if you make it, um, I'll be happy when? Uh, I saw you had you know, a narrator on here, for example, Bint. She, she's a great advocate for this. She, she's great at delving into that, so the, the more personal work aspect. And she's been a great friend of mine who's helped me on that path, too. But you, re, I realize I, you outsource your happiness to that to the, to the achievement of that goal. And you get that goal, like you said, oh, I've made millions. Oh, great. I'm. You know, am I happy? Oh, I'm kind of. I'm dep- I haven't got a vision. I'm, I'm clear. I'm stressed. I'm anxious. I'm overworked. I have no, pre- you know, no quality time with friends. I haven't got a social life. Okay. Maybe I'm not as happy as I thought it was. Maybe this, the achievement of this goal wasn't everything it was meant to be. Maybe that 100K in the bank wasn't as important. Maybe that, and then you recalibrate your expectation. But I would notice the big bigger, bigger observation was that in the amount of stress and anxiety that's happened recently, where between the point of when I achieved the goal and made the new vision, so when I hit old vision and new one, there's a bit of a period in between, where there's no clear vision until I was figuring out what my next steps are. That was very, very overwhelming and I'd burn out more and I've been more stressed lately until I really, in the last week or two, I've really redefined very clear what that goal and vision is. Now stress has disappeared. Like literally in the last few days, I finally clarified all, put in the piece, this is my one, three and five year plan. This is what I want to do in X, Y, Z areas. I'm optimizing for lifestyle. I'm going to work four days, not five. I'm going to see my, have, do these things, right? And now yeah. the stress is just like, oh. I know what I'm doing again. So I've learned it's that a lot of the purpose base is is the big thing, right? The vision vision's you, the big thing.
0: Yeah. Send you a video after our podcast, man. I'm a massive USC fan. There's a fighter called Dominic Cruz. He his life goal was to become the band and weight champion of the world. He tore his ACL, tore his green. He had to vacate the belt. And then two years later, it was an epic story, epic comeback. He won the belt from a from a fighter called Tito Dillashaw. Post fight the media interviewer, Ariel Hawani said, this has to be the happiest day of your life, Dominic. He said, it's not the happiest day of my life was when I realized I don't need a belt to be happy. Hmm. And that is just so beautiful. Like you determined your happiness, your expectation determines your happiness and you don't need anything to be internally
1: happy. Hmm. It's, a, it's a powerful one, mate, isn't it? Because we, I think the... That would be a really great psalm for a lot of busy minds. Uh, I think that would be a really expectation is the thief of joy, and it truly is. If you if you expect like for me, doubling every year, making that the expectation moving forward, for example, looking forward and going, was well, is, is that a realistic expectation in, in personal life? You know, in all the other areas. Real expectation. Because if you go if you go 30%, that'd be considered great in a lot of businesses, right? But I'm used to hundred percent growth. So you you go, oh, this is but expectation, right? If I expected normal growth or hell, if I was content in the present and happy with the level of what we'd achieved already in this startup, again, and same in personal life, same in all other areas of life as well. You'd agree, you just need to define what are your what are you optimizing for. And that when I met a guy who had done built a company to 100 million US, was fabulously wealthy, had his apartment in Malibu with his sports cars in the garage, everything. He said, mate, all has changed now. I get to drive a sports car down to my yoga lesson on a Sunday instead of my old beat up truck. You know, that, and that's really about it. He said, I can go to dinner and I not have to worry about the bill. But he said, like, ultimately, my the, the workload increased twofold. the uh, But the, the stress has increased twofold. But my contentness after... I forget what yeah. income he said, but pretty much same sort of theory, right? Um,
0: yeah. I'm going to wrap up this podcast soon, mate, but I want to summarise with this. When you tell the story to your kids and grandkids about Premiabolics, you're not going to tell them about the revenue, you're going to tell them about the struggle. That's what you look back on. That's what you're proud of. Cliche again, but it is not the destination, it is the journey. It's who did you become to be the founder of a million dollar, multi million dollar company? And that's what you're ultimately proud of. Hmm, Mate, that's a beautiful memory. I'm going to wrap it up. Last question I ask everyone What's one question I should have asked you? that I didn't ask you?
1: Oh, interesting one. Um, I suppose I'd say how uh, it'd be around vision, I'd imagine. It'd be how did you set your, you know, how do you set your vision then early on? Because I think that was the one thing. We both just think like really nicely fleshed out and wrapped up that, Pete, going, this is what's important, vision and purpose, and what's big. Um, how, do you, how do you define vision? And I think it would be, going back to what the Stoics would do as a teaching, I would have answered, um, find something that gives you that, that gives meaning and purpose to a life spent. Right, uh, find something you can dedicate yourself towards, and whether that's whether that's towards family, whether it's whether it's towards business, whether it's towards a particular v- mission you're trying to do. Find something of meaning and purpose to you as an individual, and pursue, spend every waking moment pursuing that. But make it something of meaning to you, and you'll always have that study that one you spoke about the income threshold with that Rogan reference. That was from the Gottman Institute, and you're right. Yeah. Back then, it was 65 grand a year was the income that you could have. Above that, no additional happiness, right? Of a thousand dollars a week, you've covered all your things, happy. So I would say the thing that actually makes you happy is having a purpose, meaningful life along the way to it. Finding that is a really big one. And that's we can learn that from the stoics lessons. So Mate, I about- want to highlight
0: something, highlight something that you said. Meaningful to you. Who gives a shit what your friends think? Who gives a shit what your families think? You got one life meaningful to you. Do not chase things that aren't that. Mate, I'm gonna wrap it up there. I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast, man. It's been amazing seeing your journey from serving me at the counter at East Coast Supplement Cessna with Mitch and Ryan to having a million-dollar brand. Congratulations, man. I'm really proud of you.
1: Thank you very much, mate. Thanks for having me on. That was an awesome deep dive. Thanks, mate.